Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, An American idiom, right, coined, we think, somewhere around 1940 or 1950. Some of you are like, is this the purge? This feels very weird. 1940, 1950. It describes an issue uh, that needs to be discussed, but instead uh, it remains overlooked or completely ignored. Everyone knows it's there. Everyone knows something needs to be said about it, but no one wants to talk about it. Now, if you've been married for longer than six months, there's been an elephant in the room. And I don't mean your spouse, okay? Right? Oh, listen, like, like, you know, when you're having dinner and you haven't gotten over last night's fight and there's tension in the room and everybody's feeling it, but nobody wants to talk about it. And so you fill the void with talks about weather, but there's an elephant in the room. It needs to be discussed. Maybe it's a family member, you know, Maybe there's a substance abuse problem, comes over for Thanksgiving, a little tipsy, some inappropriate comments, one thing leads to another, everybody knows, man, we have to for the well-being of this family member, there needs to be an intervention, there needs to be a difficult conversation, and instead we turn on the television to watch football, right? There's an elephant in the room, an issue that needs to be brought into the light, but to do so makes us extremely uncomfortable, and so we pretend that it doesn't exist. Well, today, we're starting a new series called The Elephant in the Room, where we will address uh, the topic in church that makes you by far the most uncomfortable. Matter of fact, if you knew what the topic was, you probably would have played sick today and stayed home. I'm just telling you. So let's call the elephant in the room by name. The elephant is money. All right? Now, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because of the topic I dressed up for you today. Okay, got to figure, got to give you a little something there. Now, just the name of the topic, right? Just, just the topic itself, for some of us, it prompts a visceral reaction. Some of you are thinking, this is why I dislike organized religion. And some of you are thinking, this is all the church ever wants is my money. And, and it stirs something in you. For others, you're thinking, oh, my dear Lord, I invited someone to church today. And so if you're a guest and someone invited you, let me tell you what they probably want to but won't. I'm so sorry. Okay? <laughs> let, me just, let me just get that out of the way. The elephant in the room facing fears of generosity. It's a topic that we know that's out there. We know at some point we need to discuss it, but we just hope that it will be discussed on a Sunday that we miss, right? A Sunday that, that, that we're out of town. And, and, and I get it. The church, universal church, has abused the subject. And pastors, like uh, myself, not me personally, I hope, but pastors around the world have used guilt and strong-arm tactics to try to separate you from your money. And we have gone through uh, to unbelievable lengths to try to, uh, with you know, Sarah McLaughlin music playing and crying babies, and, and to, 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 to try to get you to, to, to give just a little bit more. Years and years ago, there was a pastor on television who said that if he does not raise $2 million, God was going to take him home. Now, if I ever make a claim like that, just smile and wave and say, we'll miss you. Just, that's all I need. 
right? We'll miss you. Pastors who have promised all sorts of material blessings and wealth if you would plant your seed money or that if you would give today, you can secure your miracle for tomorrow. So listen, I get it. I get the tension. I get it why nobody wants to discuss it. I understand it. The reason the elephant is in the room is because we gave birth to it. Now, when I say we, I'm hoping it's not us because if you've been here any amount of time, you know that we've worked really hard to try to stay away from that part of church culture. And so when we enter into a discussion, I can do so uh, without anything hanging over my head because if you count the number of sermons that have been on money versus the last nine years of sermons I've given, I mean, we're still in single digits. And so it's just not something that, that we run into Uh, largely because I don't want to give anybody an excuse to kind of bail on the things of God, but the reality of it is it's still a topic that we have to discuss. As a church, it's something that we need to be challenged in. So let me speak for myself when I say this. When it comes to generosity, selfishness is my default mode. Now, I don't know about yours, But when it comes to generosity of giving away my stuff, if my heart goes unchallenged, my default mode is selfishness, always has been. If left to myself, if my heart is not confronted, my heart will drift and focus on what I love most, me. And why shouldn't I? I'm fabulous. If you're new here, I'm joking about that, but you understand that's why we invest in me because on some level, I need it and I deserve it and I'm fabulous. And so if left unchallenged, selfishness comes easy. This means as a Christ follower, I need to be challenged on what God wants me to do with the resources he has given me because God has given us resources that can shape our lives and the lives of others. That is the resources of our time, the resources of our talents, and the resources financially, our our, our money, that can shape our lives, shape the lives of others. And uh, we have to answer the question, where will we choose to invest those resources? Ultimately, it comes down to this question. Who owns my stuff? And so today, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Matter of fact, this week, next week, maybe, maybe week three, you, yeah, excuse me, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, Maybe uh, three weeks, but that doesn't mean you get two weeks off. As always, I will work to make this enjoyable and something that can hit more than just finances. And so we'll stretch this as far as we can to see what the Bible has to teach us about this idea of generosity as we approach the elephant in the room. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, just lift off of us uh, anything that hangs over us from Uh, bad experiences, uh, things that are not of you. I pray that you would release us from those things. And would you allow us to just hear the truth today? And sometimes that truth is difficult to hear, but it's still a truth that needs to be heard. And so would you, as we always pray, would you transform us? Would you move us closer to your image and what you want for us as we submit ourselves humbly before you. Holy Spirit, you're always welcome here to speak and to move. 
and speak to me and through me that I may speak off the page to speak into the, the things of God, the moving of what the Father is doing. And as we receive an offering, that uh, even in our offering, it would be a form of worship and a form of submission to you, offering our best to you as the Lord and Master, King and Leader of our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13 uh, is... Uh, a story that Matthew begins to paint about crowds of people who are coming to hear Jesus. This was nothing abnormal. Wherever Jesus went, crowds of people formed. Even people that did not like religion liked Jesus. They liked what he taught and what he stood for and what he was about. And so crowds began to gather. And Jesus begins to teach them about what the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And he teaches them in a parable. Matthew 13, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field and when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went out and sold all that he had and he bought the field now I was 15 years old and I was asked to give a short teaching uh, in our youth group at a youth camp and I chose that passage to speak on uh, and, and my exegesis failed. I mean, I, I butchered it. And what I taught then was that God was the man uh, in, uh, or God was uh, the treasure. Um, and, uh, let me see this What I taught was that God is the man in the field and we uh, are the treasure. And that God went looking for us and when he found us, this valuable treasure, he gave all that he had, his son Jesus, in order to purchase the treasure. And I built this whole teaching out of this. And to me, in my mind, it was a picture of God's radical love. God searching finds us this valuable, meaningful treasure, and he gives his son that he may purchase the treasure. It was God's radical, all-in devotion to the creation that he loved, that he was holding nothing back, uh, was willing to do whatever it required. Even if a sacrifice was required, the sacrifice was worth it. About a year later, I was 16, I was reading the same passage, and I had an epiphany that I completely had this backwards, that in in reality, I'm not the treasure in the parable, God is the treasure in the parable, and I am the man walking through the field that when he stumbles upon the treasure of the kingdom of God, is willing to abandon all else in order to obtain the kingdom. So valuable, so meaningful. That in fact, it's a picture of my all-in devotion. So valuable, so meaningful is the treasure of the kingdom that even if it requires a sacrifice, that sacrifice of dying to myself would be well worth it. Now, strictly speaking, the latter interpretation is the correct interpretation of that passage. But strictly speaking, both interpretations are true. See, the Bible is clear that you really are a treasure of God, and we, we are told that over and over and over again. First Peter 2 says that you are chosen and you are precious. Ephesians 2 says that we are a masterpiece of God. Zephaniah 3 says that God takes delight in you. Now think about that, that God takes delight in you. Psalm 139 says that his thoughts towards us are so many and so good that they outnumber the grains of sand in the sea. 
Isaiah 49 says that he's engraved you on the palm of his hand. Look at the screen, Deuteronomy 7 says, for you, are my peop- for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You, you are a treasure. And you may not always see it because, because we've been buried under years and years of dirt and, 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 and swamp and all of those other things. But God has the ability to see beneath the surface and to see what we don't see and what others don't see. And he's able to see the treasure. And once he finds you, he's willing to go down into the muck and the mire to dig you out. And isn't that really the picture of Jesus Philippians tells us, Paul tells us in the letter to the church of Philippi, he said that he, speaking of Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. It's saying that Jesus left heaven and stepped into the sewage, into the mess, feeling his way through the dirt to find you and to dig you out. That's the picture that we see over and over again. It's the picture of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm quoting it in the passage that I have memorized. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. In other words, that while we were still in the muck and the mire and still in the swamp, still sinners, enemies of God, God gave his son for us. This is how God sees us. Now, 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 now catch this next part. God relentlessly pursues us. And then when he finds us, he says, now I want you to relentlessly pursue me. Right? This, this is the, the, the parable of the treasure, that when we find the kingdom, God says, look, if you want the kingdom, then it's going to require a little something and that's the parable of the, of the guy going away and just saying, I'll give everything up just to obtain this kingdom. And so God says, look, I have relentlessly pursued you. And now that I have found you, here's what you give back. You pursue me. Jesus says that if you want the treasure, it's going to require you to go all in. In Luke 9, he says this famous passage. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me the cross it was an instrument of death and so when jesus said these words everyone knew what jesus was talking about he was saying if you want to come after me if you want the treasure you will need to die to the selfishness that reigns within you if you want the treasure be prepared he says to go all in bet the farm and die to yourself jesus Uh, In one teaching, he actually gives us a heart test. He understands the struggle as our creator of wanting to pursue, but also this this first love. I loved myself long before I loved Christ, and I became pretty devoted to my own needs and my own wants and my own selfishness. And Jesus, understanding that, he he gives us a heart test. And here's what he says. Uh, I tried to find just a big red heart, but I couldn't find one. Uh, And we spare no expense here at Reveal, so it's power puff. Girl. So Jesus says, over here is, is your heart. He's giving you a stress test for your heart, right? Talking about devotion. This represents everything that you love, everything that you're about, everything that you value, everything that you say, I'm in fully. This is your heart. Jesus says, oh, sorry. 
Sorry about that. He says, this is your heart. And then over here, he says, but, but, but wait, we're, we're not done yet. Because over here is your treasure. And we're going to expand this a little bit for treasure. We're going to, treasure is going to be your time. And it's going to be your talent. And it's going to be your money. And Jesus says, you have your heart over here. Remember, it's a heart test. You have your heart over here, and you have your, your, your treasure over here. And we like to think that these two are, are, are separated, that, that you can have your heart in one place, and you can have your, your treasure in another place. But Jesus says, well, you're, you're, you're missing something a little bit here, because he says, in, in reality, your heart and your treasure are actually connected together. And he says, what you need to realize is something critical that, that wherever, wherever your treasure is going to go, he says, your heart isn't going to be far behind it because these two are connected. And he says, let, 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 let me give you a, a stress test. Let me give you a heart test that you're going to be able to explore for yourself, right? He's talking about this idea of devotion and relentless pursuit. And he says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, oh man, my heart goes right along with it. See, he's saying you can't separate these two. And so wherever your treasure is, wherever you are investing your time, talent, and your, your money, Jesus says, that's where your heart is also. And we want to say, no, 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 Jesus, my heart, my heart is way over there. And Jesus says, if your heart is there, then where, where, wherever you go, the opposite, Jesus is saying, it's also true that wherever your heart goes, if, if, if you're real about this, wherever your heart goes, well, then your treasure is going to follow. Because you cannot separate them. And so when we're talking about this thing of, of generosity, Jesus says, understand something really important. Wherever this is, this is not far behind. We, 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 don't, we don't really like that. That's, that, that's, that's difficult for, 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 for us to hear. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart lies, listen, check where you invest your treasure. That's heavy. He says, there are times when I realize that, that I have a heart condition when my heart is not as devoted as I would have first liked to think. Some of you, you have experienced firsthand the pain of half-hearted devotion. You have given yourself fully and somebody in return has given themselves 60% to you. And you've lived with the tension of knowing that someone was only 60% invested. And you know that 60% is unfulfilling at best. Because relationships do not work if the heart is not in it. And sometimes I think it would be helpful if we received a relationship year-end giving statement. See, at the end of this year, you're going to receive a giving statement from whatever nonprofit you have contributed to. And it's going to list out the day and the amount that you have given to that nonprofit. Now, that really should give you more information than just for tax purposes. It gives you a glimpse into where your treasure lies. And according to Jesus, ultimately where your treasure lies, your heart is not too far behind. Giving statements 
tell me something. It tells me how I have invested my resources. And I think maybe it would be helpful if we had a relationship giving statement so at the end of the year, I could see how much I invested in my family and in my wife and in friendships because I might find that I say my heart, my value is with my wife, my value is with my family, my value is with my friend, but the giving statement is going to show I invested almost all of it into me. Man, I've ignored my wife. I've kind of skipped out on my children. I haven't spent any time with, 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 with friends. That relationship giving statement at the end of the year would show me I, I, I've kind of blown. Or maybe it would show that you were, you were generous to a fault in what you gave to that which you say is most important in your heart. Giving statements tell me how I manage my treasure and ultimately it tells me how I manage my heart. Now let's change the relationship plane. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart lies in relationship to the things of God, this is it. Wherever your heart is, is where your treasure is at. Jesus says, if you want to know all things cutting through the fat, getting to the heart of the matter, if you want to know where your heart's values lie in relation to the kingdom of God. He says, look at where you're investing. Look at your giving statement. And where your treasure is, is where your heart is as well. And Jesus invites us into an opportunity to have our hearts transformed by how we deploy our time and our talent and, and, and our resources and our money. He says, if, if you want to move your heart, then, 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 just, then just begin to move your treasure and, and your heart's going to follow. And he says, if you want to move your treasure, then just begin to move your heart and your treasure's going to follow. Because they're inexplicably, they're, they're, they, they are connected and they will not be separated. Jesus, as our creator, understands something that we don't like to, to admit, but they're joined. And he knew it in his challenge. See, this, ultimately, it's a heart issue. And sin has damaged my heart, and it's caused a heart to become cold. And when my heart is cold, I become consumed about me. And when I'm consumed about me, this stays here. And it's the same with you. Or when this becomes a little tight, I close my fist. And it's the same with you. We're no different in this. But ultimately, Jesus says, listen, it's not even so much about this. It's about this. And if this is what you say it is, then wherever this is going to go, that's going to go with it. And wherever you're going to take this, the heart's coming right along with it. Because you can't separate the two. Now, let me just say the hard word. And remember, I dressed up for you today. The reason that people will not sacrifice their treasure of time is because ultimately their heart is primarily focused upon themselves. And the reason why there are needs in this church that are going unmet 
Because when it comes to you sacrificing your talent, becoming a faithful volunteer, that's going to require some sacrifice. It doesn't happen because it's attached to this and ultimately this is about you. And the reason why 20% of churches across the United States, 20% of the people give 80% of the funding is because my heart is focused upon myself. That's just the reality. And we don't like it, and I get it, because the church, not us, the universal church, I hope not us, has abused the subject. But the truth still stands. Sorry about that. But the truth still stands. Wherever this goes, your heart comes with it because they cannot be separated. And you can try to slice and dice and ginsu knife it. They're connected. It's not my words. Listen to Jesus. For where your treasure is, your heart is always going to be close to follow. And if you want to change one, the other is always going to follow. Every time. So what do you value? Does the giving statement of your life reflect your heart's values? That's a tough, that's a tough question. You know, everybody wants more stuff. And so I get it. This is hard, right? This is hard. But you know, at the end of life, this really will mean nothing. And so maybe it's not about getting more of this. It's, it's, it's more about managing this so that this isn't such a problem. Do you think Jesus knew something when he said you can't serve God and money? Why didn't he say God and sex or God and fame? Or He could have said anything. And yet he knew something about us where he knew that this, this will be the primary competition of this. And you're going to have to figure it out. Because one goes where the other goes. The story of the Bible is God's relentless pursuit of you. Get off me. And when Jesus gave himself for you, for me, and he emptied himself for us, our response to that kind of generosity, hopefully, is I'm all in. All right, I bow my knee. It's not about me anymore wholeheartedly. My heart is yours. And and when you get my heart, it's going to be a wrestle. I get it. But when you get my heart, I'm going to fight and submit daily, hourly, whatever it's going to take. Because when you get my heart, you're getting this. And I will not let this lead my heart any longer. That's the the challenge. 
for some of you, I've annoyed crazy with this snooze alarm, but do you know why someone invented a snooze alarm? It was to put off a difficult decision. Right, when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m., it's a difficult decision to get up. And so the snooze alarm allows you to put off that decision for about nine minutes. Some of you, mm, closer to, mm, let's say you hit it ten times. It allows you to put off a difficult decision. Listen, listen, church. Don't hit the snooze on this decision this morning. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I'm going to start next year, January. I'm in. I'm going to figure it out. Snooze. Don't, don't hit the snooze. The snooze doesn't work. And so my challenge is the challenge that Jesus gives to me and he gives to all of us. Stop hitting the snooze and putting off a difficult decision. James 1.22 says, Be a doer of the word of God and not just a hearer because hearers who hear only deceive themselves. Jesus says, look, you don't want to be deceived. You need to be a doer in this. And so what if we didn't have a snooze button on the big decisions of life? What if we all decide in advance that regardless of what it takes, I'm going all in, and Jesus will not only have my heart in word, but he'll have my heart in action. Don't snooze it. It's a spiritual growth principle that at the core, Jesus asks the question, who owns your stuff? And where does your heart lie? Elephant in the room. And for this morning, it's not me. Stand with me, will you? So, if you're thinking, I'm not coming back for two more weeks, I'm going to question where this is at. Come on. This wasn't that bad. Right? Allow the Word of God to challenge you. It's okay. We have to be challenged. Pray with me. So, Lord, it's rough. Everything in our culture says acquire. And if everything in Scripture says to submit, everything in culture says to grab hold tightly, and everything in Scripture says to let go. And we're caught in the tension. And I feel it, and we feel it. But ultimately, my hope, my prayer, is that ultimately, we really do want hearts that are devoted to the kingdom of God. And so that means reorganizing the things of our time. Reorganizing and putting our talents to use. And it means being generous with our resources. And so we will face and discuss the elephant in the room because we don't want anything to stand between our faith and you. And you said it. 
the thing that has the greatest opportunity to compete with our faith is our treasure. And so we just say to begin to mold us and reshape our hearts. That our hearts' devotion to you would lead and our treasures would follow. I thank you for truth in your word, even when it's a hard truth. Because ultimately it brings us closer to you, it makes us better followers of Christ, makes us better people. It makes us fully invest in this life that we have and we invest in things that are eternal and things of, of, of great weight. And so we say yes to the things of God, the ways of God, and the plan of God. And we submit ourselves to all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Reveal, don't you skip out on me next week now that you know what the topic is. Uh, If you'd like prayer or if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you. I hope to see you guys back here. God bless you. Hey, don't tell next service what's going on or they're going to get back in their car.